sorry. <laughs> it's my first time doing this. Hey guys. <laughs> Welcome to Always Already Podcast. That's not our podcast. What's our podcast? Armchair Apocrypha. Oh, okay. This is the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories, and the only... <laughs> I got this. There we go. Oh! This is very professional, guys. Rachel has... Give me a uh, moment. I'll, I'll be fine. Rachel's working on her laptop and just minimized and... Got it. Everything. We're good. <laughs> Figured it out. This but is... <laughs> we have something better than that. I'm sure we do. Um, first off, this is the, the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories about things that they're interested in. The only rule is that... Um, you can't uh, talk about anything that you've studied or mm-hmm. anything that you work in. Yep. Um, and today is a very special episode because we have our first guest star, the very lovely Kate. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Good. Cold. Cold. There's a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always cold. <laughs> we're in uh, Rachel's apartment, for those who don't know, and um, we're not actually in armchairs. We're on a couch. Oh my um, gosh. I clearly, armchairs. Yes. <laughs> It's going to get so much better. Um, if you hear Rachel's neighbor yelling, football is on, so just <laughs> He's don't, fine. He's a lovely old that. man. All right. How are, how are you guys? Uh, how are your weeks? Good. I really enjoyed my weekend off, which I never have off. Yeah. Not a lot happened. Not a lot happened. I slept a lot. You watched, um, <laughs> you watched Mindhunter with Mary. Yeah, a little bit. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I kind of jumped into the middle, so oh, no. I need to watch the first three episodes. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Andrew? Um, I met with the Ryan Fenwick for Mayor campaign on Friday, and it looks like I'm going to be volunteering for him. Um, and I'm also 30,000 words into Nano, so... Yeah, that's insane. 30,000? That's, that's it? 30, I feel so intimidated. Every time I see that, I'm like, Jesus Christ. I wrote a paragraph. <laughs> and it was a lot. So, it was a long paragraph? Yeah. What was the size of the paragraph? Was it like it's a... Not <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there was, like, dialogue in it. So Um, so I'll start, uh, this is going to be like out of time when we release it, but yesterday was Veterans Day, mm-hmm. or as it used to be known, Armistice Day. Mm-hmm. And yep. for those of you who don't know what Armistice Day is, I'm going to tell you. Please enlighten us, Andrew. <laughs> um, so what happened was that on November 11th, 1918, on the 11th day of the 11th month of uh, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, um, there was an armistice called. And all of these soldiers who were fighting in World War One on the uh, Eastern Front all just stopped fighting at the exact same time. Wow. Right. <laughs> it was impressive. Yeah. This was before Twitter. This was before Twitter. <laughs> so, that's extra How did they get the message out? <laughs> uh, pigeons or something. Pigeons. Radio, probably. <laughs> Um, but uh, don't be silly, Andrew. <laughs> why would you do something like practical? Um, the next year, the Treaty of Versailles was signed, which officially marked the end of the uh, the war. But a lot of people still liked November 11th because that's the day that they kind of like uh, used in their imagination as like the end of the war. Like, this is the armistice, this is uh, the end of the war. 
1919, uh, Woodrow Wilson proclaimed November 11th as the first commemoration of Armistice Day. Okay. Uh, all of this information is from history.com because they included dates. So nice. um, if any of this is wrong, blame history.com. <laughs> Pass the blame. <laughs> um, so the the day's obs- observation included parades, public gatherings, and a brief pause in business and school activity at eleven a.m. because eleventh hour. Eleven, yeah. Um, in nineteen twenty six, Congress passed a resolution that the recurring anniversary of November eleventh should be commemorated should be commemorated by Thanksgiving, prayer an exercise designed to perpetuate peace through goodwill and mutual understanding between nations. I'm so glad that holidays don't require us to exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I would be a miserable person. Exercise it's like the opposite. <laughs> like, eat as much as possible and sleep. That's what a holiday That's is. Thanksgiving. That's too That's all holidays. <laughs> You're almost there, Kitty. <laughs> um, so, uh, all of the states at this time, they got to design their own holidays. Um, and so even though it was declared a national holiday, it only really affected um, government employees. Oh. Um, so, let's see. Um, in 1964, after lobbying efforts by veteran service organizations, the 83rd U.S. Congress amended the 1930 Act that had made Armistice Day a holiday, striking the word armistice in favor of veterans. President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed the legislation on June 1st, 1954, and from then on, November 11th became a day to honor American veterans of all wars. Um, A few years later, in 1968, Congress passed the Uniform Holiday Bill, which sought to ensure three-day weekends for federal employees, and that included Veterans Day, Washington's Birthday, uh, Memorial Day, and Columbus Day. Um, the observation of Veterans Day was originally set at the fourth Monday in October. Fourth Monday? Fourth Monday in October, which is weird. That is a really weird time of the month. It's kind of yeah. like really close to Halloween and can follow Halloween. Yeah. Huh. Like imagine if this year Halloween was on a Tuesday, so imagine you got that Monday off and then that Tuesday to play. That's so Halloween. <laughs> um, so in 1975, because nobody was observing Armistice Day on, a mon- on the fourth Monday in October, President Gerald Ford signed a new law returning the observation of Veterans Day to November 11th, beginning in 1978. Um, if November 11th falls on a Saturday or Sunday, the federal government observes the holiday on the previous Friday or the following Monday, respectively. Which is why I took Friday off. For Veterans Day. <laughs> I just wasn't feeling well. So. <laughs> oh, but okay. let's, let's blame Armistice Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of different countries, including Great Britain, France, Australia, and Canada, also commemorate the veterans of the World War One. In World War Two on November 11th with Remembrance Day. I think they do in Scandinavia as well. Probably. So, uh, I saw an Instagram post where a dog, <laughs> a dog was wearing like a corset of all the dog. <laughs> For, as soon as I opened my mouth, I was like, everyone's going to catch me. A lot of Katie's Instagram feed is just dogs. 
It's like a more ninety percent. Yeah, <laughs> Rachel can attest to this. Oh, yeah, I'm always sending her things. Love it. Don't ever stop. <laughs> Makes my day so much better. Um, and then history.com has a little uh, key at the bottom where it says Veterans Day is for still surviving veterans, and Memorial Day is for soldiers who passed. passed away in war. And that's the story of Armistice Day. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So, Rachel, what are you doing this week? All right. So, of course, I tried so hard to stray away from, like, U.S. history, but I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) And so I wanted to look at some really interesting Supreme Court cases that we may not know that much about. Okay. So, are you guys familiar with the Supreme Court case of Buck versus Bell? I actually think I've heard of that, but I could not tell you what Okay. No, that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. It took place in 1927. So it was well before you were born. And that all started when a 17-year-old girl by the name of Carrie Buck was sent to the Virginia colony for the epileptics and the feeble-minded. <laughs> At the young age of 17, she got pregnant and gave birth to a little girl named Vivian. But as we know, it was the 1920s, and she gave birth out of wedlock, which clearly means she was promiscuous. Oh, clearly. And feeble-minded. <laughs> yeah. All right, so this is where it gets a little, where it goes from bad to worse. So Carrie said she was actually raped and got impregnated by the nephew of her foster parents. Well, her foster parents, John and Alice Dobbs, that, nope, gotta shut this up and send her to the loony bin, and, like, it was gonna tarnish their reputation, so they literally just sent her to um, this colony. It was literally called for the feeble-minded. Which, thank God, that is not used anymore as a medical term or as anything, because they realized it was a catch-all for, that means absolutely nothing. Yeah, it doesn't mean It doesn't mean anything. Have you ever seen any of those lists for people who were uh, placed in asylums? It is and, scary. Yeah. They just like everything. It's like, a, like yeah. a headache. <laughs> Cramps. Constant migraines and masturbation, both worthy of being like, sent to an asylum. Um, okay. So the reason Carrie had foster parents is because her mother, Emma, was already at the colony for epileptics and feeble minded so they were reunited oh my goodness. and the reason they say that those couple articles i said saw said that she was there was because she was promiscuous which there was nothing to back that up right. um oh and by the way carrie's child was given to the foster parents for custody the ones that threw her into the institution and who were harboring a rapist mm-hmm. their nephew yeah. yeah yeah so it's great this is really relevant to this week <laughs> <laughs> Um, so while Carrie was in, 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 uh, excuse me, in the institution, she was considered to be feeble-minded and, like, idiotic, um, so that way it was ordered for her to be sterilized, and it would be the first case operated under the new sterilization law of 1924, so it would be the first time three years since this law has passed that they would actually sterilize a person for being feeble-minded, A man by the name of John H. Bell would be giving this procedure. Here's a little side note. In 1924, the Virginia Assembly passed two laws, the Racial Integrity Act, which was designed to prevent interracial relationships, because... Because America I can't. <laughs> Not even... <laughs> and then the Sterilization Act, which provided compulsory, compulsory sterilization of persons deemed to be feeble-minded, including insane, idiotic, imbecile, or epileptic. Because America is built on sexism. Because <laughs> America. America. Um, so Carrie Buck's guardian, I couldn't quite figure out who this was exactly, at the institution, appealed to the circuit court, 
which sustained the decision. So the case went to the Supreme Court of Appeals and eventually wound all the way up to the um, Supreme, the United States Supreme Court. And so the whole case revolved around the idea of eugenics, which is the belief and practice that aims at improving the genetic quality of human population, meaning only the breasts and the brightest get yeah. to have. It's like one of the grossest things. <laughs> it is one of the grossest things. It's, so, it's so stupid. And it's like, who gets to decide? You know what? That's a whole other story for another mm-hmm. time. But the, So the, the case was basically, is the state slash federal government allowed to sterilize a person who they deem female-minded without their or their family's permission? The defense argued that this was legal... Um, looked at the entire Buck family, they pointed to Emma, the mother, Carrie, the main uh, plaintiff, and even baby Vivian as all feeble-minded. Apparently, at seven months old, the doctors could identify that Vivian was also feeble-minded. Jesus. Um, so they pr- try to say, well, look, it's like a whole slew, three generations. So they try to prove that the Buck line was defective. These doctors sound like dicks. <laughs> yeah. They were. <laughs> so who do you think won? Gosh, probably State. the government. On May 2nd, 1927, in an 8-1 decision, the court agreed that Carrie, her mother, and daughter were feeble-minded and promiscuous and that it was in the state's interest to have them sterilized. I'm so mad, guys. <laughs> God bless that one person. The, the case... No, well, I'll get oh, to that. shit. <laughs> the case basically legitimized eugenic sterilization laws in the United States. So Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. wrote in his ruling support that the interests of the public welfare outweighed the interests of individuals and their bodily integrity. His most famous quote in this case was him saying, three generations of imbeciles are enough. Oh, that is horrible. Do you want to hear about the sole dissenter? I don't know if I do. <laughs> the sole dissenter in the court was Justice Pierce Butler, a devout Catholic, and he did not write a dissenting opinion, so I think it was because of his Catholicism. Probably. Every egg is sacred, as is every sperm. <laughs> so, since the Supreme Court upheld it, on October 19th, 1927, John Bell operated on Carrie Buck, and she was the first victim of sterilization. Or at least legal sterilization. Um, her younger sister, Doris, oh my gosh, I cannot believe it when I read this, was also sterilized. And she didn't learn about this until she was in her 60s. Jesus. Because she went to the hospital for appendicitis, and while she was getting her appendix removed, they also sterilized with her without telling her. Jeez. And she didn't know. She was, like, married, and her husband and her tried to have kids for years and just, like, thought they couldn't. And it wasn't until in the 60s that someone approached her and was like, they sterilized you. Why? Isn't that not the worst thing ever? That's terrible. That is such a bummer. This isn't like a happy, like, Supreme Court case, by the way. I might put that. Um, next week, I'm going to do the depressing one, and Rachel will I'm have gonna, to do I'll, I'll try and do an uplifting one next time. So, a guy by the name Paul Lombardo did some research on this family. He, like, moved to the area of Virginia mm-hmm. and, like, just got really into it and, like, researched it for 25 years. He's a professor. I can't remember at which universities, but he, in his research, he discovered report cards from Carrie and her daughter Vivian, and guess what? They were both straight-A students and did very, very well in school. Vivian had even made the honor roll, so it was complete shit that they were ever considered me feeble-minded or, like, any kind of mental deficiency. Yeah. Um, a little side, sad side note, um, Vivian did die at the age of eight from measles and then intestinal affection from the measles, oh, like, gosh. but that was pretty, I mean, I don't know how common it was in the 30s, but I don't think that was, like, <clears throat> it wasn't anything, no one, like, killed her. This family is clearly cursed, though. Yeah. Yeah, well... They offended someone's god. <laughs> someone's. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but a little, a little more on like what happened to Carrie. Carrie did get married twice. The first time in thirty-two to a sixty-five-year-old widower with six children, and then when he died in sixty-five, she married a sixty-one-year-old orchard worker named Charlie. <laughs> um, this researcher who'd been researching about this for twenty-five years finally did get to meet uh, Carrie in the early nineteen eighties. She was living in a residence for poor senior citizens in Waynesboro, Virginia. Um, he said she was frail and in a wheelchair, but happy to have a visitor there. He asked her if, like, what had happened to her, like how Vivian was conceived was true, and she said yes. Um, and, uh, and about her sister. Um, but then he didn't really feel comfortable talking about anything else, I guess, about the sterilization or, like, being in the hospital, because I think he's like, she's old, I don't want to bombard her with all this stuff. Um, and she passed away in 1983 at the age of 76. So, it's, yeah. So here are the effects of what have happened because of Buck versus Bell. So after the ruling, at least 30 states added new sterilization statutes. 8,300 Virginians had involuntarily been sterilized up until the 1970s when they started stopping it in Virginia. Over 65,000 people have been sterilized in the United States since then. Yes, That's Kitty? Horrifying. <laughs> um, it's a horror story. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, sterilization <clears throat> and the idea of eugenics started declining um, when during World War II and the Nazis. I mean, as you all know, like after World War II, there's the baby boom, but there's a little more to that. It actually really started with another Supreme Court case, which I'm not going to delve into. I'm just going to basically say the little. Um, it was a 1942 case called Skinner versus Oklahoma, which in layman's terms just basically say that sterilizing criminals is unconstitutional. It said nothing about the feeble-minded, but it kind of like when that Supreme Court case came out, I think they kind of just stopped also doing sterilizations. Mm -hmm. And also the idea of like what the Nazis were doing and killing people. And speaking of World War II and Nazis, Hitler modeled his law for prevention of hereditary diseased offspring on the model of eugenics was on base of like what Americans had called eugenics. He also modeled his war machine on Fordism, so <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> and um, during the Nuremberg trials, <clears throat> uh, Nazi doctors explicitly cited Justice Holmes' opinion in the Buck versus Bell um, case as part of their defense. Um, I was looking at what he wrote, and he did say along the lines of, "We have seen more than once that the public welfare may be called." may call upon the best citizens for their lives. It would be strange if it could not call upon those who already sapped the strength of the state for the lesser sacrifices. <laughs> Punch all the Nazis, guys. <laughs> and finally, as of today, the ruling still has not been overturned on Buck versus Bell. So we have a new mission. <laughs> we do. <laughs> I feel like feeble-minded was just another word for uh, female. Like, for sure. Yeah. Ugh. That sounds like a dog whistle. Yeah. You're complaining too much. You must be feeble-minded. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very ladylike of you. So I tried to go through that as fast as I could, but <laughs> um, that is Buck versus Bell and sterilization. Woohoo! Thanks for that, I think. <laughs> no! <laughs> That's not a, it's not a happy story. Did you learn anything, Katie? I did. <laughs> Sad things. Sad but things. I did learn them. Oh. Uh, so what are you doing? Um, I'm going to talk about Maurice and Katia Kraft. Okay. You guys know who they are? Yeah. The Kraft family? <laughs> no. <laughs> Technically, yes. <laughs> it is Kraft with two Fs. Though. Oh, so shoot. No. Um, so they were a pair of married volcanologists that were really active in the 70s and the 80s. Oh, wow. 
Um, Can they're you explain pretty to me much, what a volcanologist is? It's a person that Star Trek? studies... <laughs> I wish. That would be such a better story. <laughs> um, it's a person that studies volcanoes um, and oh, the yeah. effects that they have okay. on just, you know, the surrounding acidity and, like, tectonic plates and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, okay. Right. I got you. Um, so, this couple, they're literally, like, the most badass people I've ever read about. Um, they graduated from Strasbourg University... Um, with majors in geology, and then they founded their own center for volcanology in 1968. Um, and they kind of, they were still just kind of poor college people, like, when mm-hmm. they left school, so they just kind of floated around um, and ended up studying this volcano, which is unbelievably called Stromboli. Stromboli? <laughs> I swear to God, I had to look it up. I was like, there's no way this is actually called Stromboli. I'm not sure if that's, like, where Stromboli comes from, or what, but... It shoots out the lava. Yeah, it's just right onto the bread. Um, So so they just kind of float around for a while, um, taking, you know, measurements on the gases that come out of volcanoes and that kind of thing. Um, But they found that what was more popular, sadly, kind of, than their scientific research was um, the husband, Maurice, uh, videoed everything that they were doing. Mm -hmm. And it was like this completely shocking you know beautiful imagery of like lava flows and just like magma like shooting out of the earth and like rocks falling from the sky and all this really dramatic stuff so people gravitated towards it um and it kind of allowed them the financial freedom to travel the world and study volcanoes nice so um, this was so they opened their center in like 68 Mm -hmm. um and it kind of just kept going until the end, which I'm okay. going to talk about oh, later. Oh, do tell. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I found them, like, really compelling because they were so, like, human. Like, it's so easy to think about scientists, like, going to these volcanoes and taking measurements. But mm-hmm. if you see the footage of them, like, they're very... They're obviously, like, they love each other and it's really Aww. sweet. But, like, they're so human. Like, he talks about... Um, Sometimes they would be so awed by the volcano, they would forget to, like, take measurements. And so, <laughs> and so they just would, like, stand on the edge and, like, look at it for hours. And there's a lot of the footage is not even them being scientific. They're just wearing these, like, full-body, like, heat suits. Yeah. And they just wander up to the edge, and they're just kind of, like, checking it out. And then they turn around and come back. And you're like, what was the point of that? <laughs> but it's, they, the images they capture are so beautiful and, yeah. like, awe-inspiring it's completely worth it i'm gonna look this up um yes please do it's they're amazing i feel like i saw these videos in like middle school you probably did yeah a lot of their stuff um from what i read uh it kind of actually helped people be safe from these volcanic eruptions because then they had like an image to put to it they're like holy shit it really is on fire maybe we should leave (laughs) um it's not that hot it's kind of i just they're so interesting. So, Katia said, um, I watched a couple of videos with, like, interviews with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that, for me, the danger is not important. I'm afraid to go in a car, but on volcanoes, I forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious. And she's, like, this tiny French... They're French, by the way. Yeah. Um, and she's this, like, tiny French woman with, like, this buzz cut. And she's like, I'm scared to go in the car, but here I am next to this lava. It's fine. I saw um, a video on Facebook the other day of people, like, cooking steaks over lava. What? Probably so, in Hawaii. <laughs> probably. Um, but, yeah, that, that explains, like, why. Because when I saw the video, I was like, are you guys, like, out of your mind? Are you suicidal? Like, what's going on here? Well, and it's so interesting, like, 
I love volcanology. Like, if I was more science-minded, I probably would have gone to school for that. Like, it's yeah. so interesting. Um, but, like, in Hawaii, like, the volcanic flow just goes over the road. Like, sometimes you just can't get where you're trying to go because the volcano's in the way. Um, so, for a lot of people, it's just part of their lives. But it's such a, like, crazy force of nature. Yeah. Um, but, so Maurice is, like, kind of their mouthpiece. I don't think that... Um, Katya spoke English, so a lot of the videos uh, were him talking. Um, but he, he talked about someone, how bad he wanted someone to build a canoe that could float in the lava. He, like, wanted to ride the lava in a canoe. <laughs> like, this guy is so nuts. Um, and he actually talks about, like, how people always call him crazy. And he says, I like to be crazy because life is crazy and volcanoes are crazy. And that is the truest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. This guy's my hero. Yes, they're so interesting. Did he ever get to ride in a canoe down lava? No, no one's done that yet. <sighs> but I um, I came across, I should have watched the video, but apparently these scientists sacrificed some drones. Like they, because it's so hot. I mean, yeah. It's so unbelievably hot that like any kind of equipment, if it touches, the, I mean, it's going to instantly it's, yeah. be gone. It's so they demolished. like, you know, transmitted the video. And as the drones got close, they like died. <laughs> so it's kind of sad, I guess. But, um, it's for the greater good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, science science so um he talks about um how he's just not af they both were just not afraid of this like i think i would probably poop my pants like if i got <laughs> close to a volcano to be that hot where i had to wear like a bodysuit i yeah. think yeah. i'd probably die um but he says uh if tomorrow i die in a volcano it's not important um i've seen enough like he's, he was just completely at peace with how dangerous it was um and I came, I had learned about them before, but I got re-interested in them. I watched a documentary on Netflix called Into the Inferno. I think that's oh, what I've it's called. Oh, I've seen it, yeah. Or no, I've, like... Yeah, that is what it's called. It's been told to me to watch um, it. I, I absolutely recommend it. It was it incredible. Um, but they talk about how if you're on the edge of a, an active volcano, um, sometimes the rocks and stuff will shoot up in the air and you can't like run because they'll hit you. You have to just look up and see where they're going to be oh my and dodge gosh. them, which is terrifying. And there's video of them in the stuff I watch, just like doing this and they're just like <laughs> hanging out, just dodging rocks. It's so crazy. Um, so they just weren't scared of this at all. But on June 3rd in 1991, they were filming eruptions at a place called uh, Mount Unzen in Japan, and they were killed instantly. No! Yes! Don't! I'm so Your sorry! <laughs> just as bad, if not worse than mine! <laughs> they were killed instantly. Um, Shut in a up! pyroclastic flow. Do you know what that is? No! Called? What is that? So, if you ever see an eruption, it's like this, it looks like it's smoke, hmm. but it's not. It's actually, like, solid. It's, oh. It's all of the, like, superheated rock and ash that's it's condensed just this, like yeah so they were they thought they were in a safe place but um part of the crater collapsed and it caused this flow no. and they and 41 other people died 41. Yeah. and there's like there's like video it's it's not like gruesome or anything it's just like video of the flow like coming out and you know what happened and it's like so moving and horrible that's Horrible. Yes, I thought but... this was gonna have a happy French ending. <laughs> no, 
Like they've crying. been dead for like twenty something years. Doesn't make it any better. Years. I know. How old are they? They were like in their late forties. Ugh. Yeah. So that's really sad. But I feel like the work that they did in their life was like really important. Yeah. Um, I mean, it inspired. Like you said, you saw that stuff in middle school, and you still remember it. I mean, their their videography was so like influential in volcanology and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there is a <laughs> a crater on the I don't think it's it's in the Indian Ocean um, but it's owned by France and it has an active volcano and they named the craters after, after them yes the craps crater really it was like M and K crater or something okay. I can't remember um, so yeah so that's sad but oh my they're gosh. really important I don't know I did not see that coming <laughs> twist ending twist ending horrible <laughs> but yeah I, All right, I give mean, another twist me like they rose from the ashes <laughs> no <laughs> They did not. The end. The question mark? End question mark. <laughs> well, um, but I, I just, I don't know. I've always been really interested in volcanoes. Oh, and yeah. like I think yeah. most people are. They're this, like, crazy mm-hmm. force of nature. But um, something about, I don't know if it's the way they frame what they're filming, but something about their actual videos is, like, so overwhelming to me. Like, I don't, there's this one where the entire frame is this like bright orange and you it takes you a second to realize what it is but it's just like this huge lava thing in the air (laughs) and uh katya just like walks up and turns around and comes back and she's in this like spacesuit it's yeah it's in the documentary and like in the documentary they have it set to this like dramatic music and it's very overwhelming Uh i I recommend it and if you're interested in them um a video that i watched that was pretty uh like included a lot of the information um was a pbs nature documentary called the volcano watchers the volcano watchers yeah ah because they watch volcanoes what was the other documentary you recommended it's into the... called into the inferno into the inferno yes. okay. yeah i keep seeing that on like my netflix feed. and that's that one i enjoyed because it's not even so much about like the science behind volcanoes but the documentary itself is about the impact that the volcanoes have on the cultures around them okay so they talk about like north korea and how north korea has this huge like myth about um like their creator and like the volcano that's in north korea if you don't know about that it's a movie it's really interesting i didn't know about it either save it for the next time yes i will save it because it's very interesting (laughs) but yeah so that's maurice and katia maurice and katia that was awesome that was amazing and heartbreaking yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I should have seen it coming, but I didn't see it coming. Like, I felt bad telling you. <laughs> you should. Um, cool. So that's our episode this week. Um, if you haven't already, go check out the website. It's absinthactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh-huh. Um, if you need to get in touch with us, uh, you can uh, tweet me. It, it's at AWM Rights, um, or you can send me an email at andrew.massey, M A S S I E, at live, L I V E.com. Um, do you guys have anything to plug? Does Rachel have a Twitter yet? <laughs> no. I'm, we need to work on making one for the show. We're going we're gonna to work on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, We're leaving you into that, right? I have a Twitter. It's not very exciting. It's just mostly me retweeting dogs and, like, you know, saying random crap. But it's uh, Uncanny Valleys. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. it. It's a great name. That's also my Instagram, but it's definitely just pictures of, like, random stuff. So. <laughs> nice. Well, um, as we've learned today, uh, celebrate peace, punch Nazis, and... Enjoy uh, volcanoes. Enjoy volcanoes. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, also, vote Ryan Fenwick for mayor if you live in Louisville. <laughs> um, I'll let you guys go, and you guys have a great week. Yeah. See ya. <laughs>